welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Awaken this morning. I think it's our last gross day. I really hope. Feels pretty sad. <laughs> um, I'm Jenna, if we haven't met. I'm the executive pastor here at Awaken. Uh, I will be leading us in our call to worship this morning, which is from a collection of blessings entitled Circle of Grace by a woman named Jan Richardson. So if you are able, I'd love to invite you to stand as we prepare our hearts and receive these words. This is entitled, Where the Light Begins. Perhaps it does not begin. Perhaps it is always. Perhaps it takes a lifetime to open our eyes, to learn to see what has forever shimmered in front of us. The luminous line of the map in the dark, the vigil flame in the house of the heart, the love so searing we cannot keep from singing, from crying out in testimony and praise. Perhaps this day will be the mountain over which the dawn breaks. Perhaps we will turn our face toward it, toward what has always been. Perhaps our eyes will finally open in ancient recognition, willingly dazzled, illuminated at last. Perhaps this day, the light begins in us. Amen. All right, my friends. If you want to find your seats, make your way back. Morning. Uh, today is a fifth Sunday, a fifth Sunday in the month. So uh, it is an everybody Sunday, which means on the fifth Sundays, our older kids uh, hang here with us and we give our teachers a break. So to the kids in the room, how you doing? All right, I hear you. Nice to have you with us. Um, my name is Micah, by the way, if we haven't met. I'm very glad that you're here. Uh, we would love to know, if you're new to Awaken, that you are with us. So in the seat pockets in front of you or online, you can fill out a card, let us know. Somebody from our team will reach out, invite you to a beverage of your choice. You can get to know us. We can get to know you a little. Uh, if you have tithes or offerings uh, or those cards, they can go in the black boxes at either of the exits. We're grateful for those. A couple things happening in the life of the church. Oh, by the way, um, some people wonder like, oh, you know, hey, when I give to Awaken, what does that really mean? Where does that go? We like to share some of those things that happen because of your generosity. Last week, we hosted a pancake breakfast. First ever Awaken pancake breakfast. We had like 125 people come, which was super fun. Neighbors who had never stepped foot in our church stopped by uh, because they saw it online or on the internet, Facebook or whatnot. So, um, and we had a great time. Um, lots of people volunteered. We had maybe more than enough volunteers to help, so many hands make light work, as they say. Well done, Awaken. Good job. A um, couple other things happening we want to let you know about. For the artists among us, there are two things. There's an artist mingle happening on Thursday night. There's an artist mini retreat happening next weekend. You can find out more about those things on the internet, on our website, awakenwest7th.com. There is a 40 Orchards, our final 40 Orchards study. So this is, uh, we've hosted three of these. This is our fourth and last this year. Uh, this will be uh, an opportunity to get together and study scripture. So from one to eight, uh, it's a one to five, we'll study together. And then there's dinner. 
And um, if you've never done this before and you're like, ah, should I go? Should I not? I'd like to just give you a gentle pastoral shove right over the edge um, to join us. Uh, this is really, like, honestly, one of the things that has changed my life related to the Bible. And many of our staff, um, 40 Orchards leads this, and they're just wonderful people. So want to um, invite you to be there with us if you can. Uh, we have a garden work day coming up. Um, I don't know that it's going to be warm enough to plant anything, but uh, they say don't plant anything before Mother's Day, so we're just following the rules, hoping by the 20th it's warm enough to plant some things. And then last but not least, they're, uh, they're, uh, for those who were planning to go to the queer lunch uh, today, that was at a place nearby. It's changed the location, so it's at Cassetta's on West 7th, right down by the X, second floor. There's a little pub up there, so if you're going to go, meet them there. Sound good? Um, did anybody receive a text message from me this last week? Uh, <laughs> evidently something got hacked. Um, don't worry, our database is safe. We've checked. All the data is secure. But somebody was impersonating me, um, sending messages to people in the church. And um, evidently, my kids knew, they saw it, and they're like, clearly that's not dad because the punctuation is impeccable. That can't be him. <laughs> Everything was capitalized, definitely can't be him. And the people of the church were like, that can't be Micah, because the message was like, um, hey, there's this discreet issue that's come up, and um, don't call me, just text me, because I'm in a prayer session right now, Pastor Micah. So that's how they knew it wasn't me, because Pastor Micah with them. Yeah, Pastor Micah with them. That's how everybody knew it wasn't me, because I would never say that. <laughs> And we're safe, you know, we're safe. Because if anybody wants to impersonate a pastor, they're going to say things that would be normal of a pastor that you all know cannot be true and are not true about me. So there you go. Um, if you ever get a text from me and it's capitalized, there's punctuation and it's talking about prayer, don't answer it, all right? It's not me. It's not me. Uh, I, one other funny story, which gets into where we're going today. This last week, I was telling our staff about one of my recent finds, which is called Bar Cart. It's a little restaurant that just opened on Snelling and Grand, and it is fantastic. Uh, if, you're, if you're ever in the, in, the, in the market for a good happy hour, this place has it, and it's legit happy hour, like $5 margarita. So they were like, well, what do they even have? And I was like, $5 margaritas, um, $5 uh, like loaded hummus, and these nachos, which are fantastic, and the wine, like some of the wine is a dollar, and they're like, a dollar? And I was like, yeah, it, this is what it says on the menu, red, white, and bubbles, two, four, and one. I'm like, the bubbles are a dollar. And Jenna goes, do you think that's two for one, Micah? <laughs> <laughs> These guys need a new iteration of their menu. They need a new iteration of their menu. I actually told the bartender, I'm like, you're never going to guess what I did today. And he's like, you are not the first person that has said that. So I'm in good company with all the other knuckleheads out there. Two for one. Two dollars, four dollars, one dollar. Two for one. I mean, if you didn't use the numbers, it would be a little more helpful, don't you think? I'm building my case here. Uh, they need a new iteration for their menu, and we are in a series called Iterations. Uh, we have been looking at the different iterations of God's people in the Bible. As a church, we have made some, um, we've come to some conclusions about who we are as a, as a group of people and who's welcome at Awaken, and our denomination has some questions about that. 
And so we're headed to a meeting in June where we will have an, an update, a new iteration of Awaken. We don't really know what it is, whether we'll be kicked out of our denomination or we'll be part of reforming our denomination. We'll see. But we decided to spend some time in the, the time leading up to that, looking in Scripture at the different iterations of God's people. God's people becomes a really important idea in this series, and so I've defined it as such. The conduit through which God's hopes, dreams, and intentions for creation are seen, known, lived, and offered for participation. So wherever you pick up the Bible, it's my contention that you will find an iteration of God's people. This group in the scriptures through whom God wants to make themselves known to the world, to us. If God has hopes or dreams or intentions for this creation, how do they get out there? You know, who's on the marketing team? What's the ground squad? It's this. It's God's people. It's, and in, in, there are different iterations of it in Scripture, depending on how they respond, right? So God adjusts and, and, and tweaks and changes and offers. And in each one of these invitations, I would submit that there's always invitation, presence, and mission. God, if, if love is love, then it has to be a choice. And if God is love, then it has to be a choice that we opt into. So there's an invite. There's a promise of presence that God will always be with us and Emmanuel. And then there's work to do, right? There's meaningful work to participate in. So invitation, presence, and mission. So we've looked at the first humans in Genesis 1 in the garden. Last week we looked at Abram. Uh, and in particular, Genesis 11 and 12, the Tower of Babel as, as opposed to or compared to, contrasting the call of Abram. And this week we turn our attention to Jacob, the story of Jacob, if you remember this one. Um, and we're going to find in this passage a really important idea that I want to sort of walk out. I want to I work out today, and that idea is blessing and curse. Um, if you had a metal detector and you were to tune that metal detector into blessing and curse and you were to sort of like ho hover it over the Bible, it would be beeping in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 because this is where we get the, the sense of what it means in the Bible. And then it beeps again at Genesis 8 and Noah. It beeps again at Genesis 12 and Abram. And then it just goes berserk in the story of Jacob. It's all about blessing and curse, if you remember. Jacob wrestles and he says, bless me. So, we're going to, this is less of a three-point sermon. I told Jenna, I'm going to take like 25 minutes to say one thing today. So we're just going to kind of follow this track, this idea of blessing and curse through scripture, and then see what, is it, what does it have to say about God in the story of Jacob and for us as a group of people. All right, that's where we're headed today. Um, Bethany, this is your spot. So uh, if you're, I uh, invite you to stand in body or in spirit for the reading of the text. Genesis 32 We'll jump right into the middle of Jacob's story. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name, Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. 
Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Pray with me if you would. God, this morning as we turn our attention to this story, um, I pray that it would be fresh and alive for us, that you would offer a, a new word um, for us, your church, gathered this morning. One of, you, one, of, one of the iterations of your people in the world. I pray in the strong name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit, the church said together, Amen. You may be seated. So we're, we're midway through Jacob's story in the scriptures. We kind of jumped right into the middle here. And again, what I want to do is, is track this idea of blessing and curse. Even in this passage, we hear Jacob saying, bless me, which is ironic, as we'll see in a, in a little bit. Uh, and then we'll apply it to, uh, we'll kind of go over Jacob's life uh, real quickly, a flyover, if you will. So blessing and curse in the scriptures. Um, if you've been around Awaken and you've studied the Bible long enough, maybe you've come across this idea of first usage. Uh, in Hebrew, and in particular in Jewish scholarship, there's uh, an interpretive key and tool that's used, which is first usage. Where does the word first show up in the Bible? And that place and that context, that story, what's being said around that, then informs the trajectory of that word in the scriptures going forward. So, where does blessing and curse show up first in the Bible? Because Jacob's life is really all about blessing and curse. The Hebrew words blessing and curse are barek and arar. They mean to bless or to kneel. Uh, most Jewish blessings or prayers start with baruch, which is a variation of that. Baruch ata Adonai. Blessed are you, Lord our God. And often when you receive a blessing, you would kneel, right? Because that's what it means, to kneel, to receive that. Curse really just means curse, to call down a curse, to offer a curse, to give a curse, to curse someone. So Barak and Arar, where do they uh, appear first? Genesis chapter 1, we're going all the way back to the beginning, in the poem about the creation of the world, God creates the sky, uh, the earth and its vegetation, and creatures, right? Three different domains. And the first of those creatures are the birds and the animals, and they're given um, a word, uh, they're given a uh, like a declaration, God says, God makes them and then says, be fruitful and multiply. So the creatures of, cre of creation are given, they're endowed by God with the capacity to reproduce life. What was and, and is solely in God's realm, right, the production of, the creation of new life, is then given to, as if God says, here, share in this thing that I can do. I produce life, and what you get to do as the creatures is be fruitful and multiply. Like, engage in, participate in the, the creative life of the divine, right? So that's what the creatures are told. Uh, this is the first usage of the word bless. So, the creatures are to share in the abundant life of God, the generous life of God. Um, and then on day six, we get humans. And humans are told the same thing, be fruitful and multiply. So, obviously... There are parents and children here in the room, right? We're doing it. We're being fruitful and we're multiplying. We're participating in the gift of God. If God produces life, humans are then invited to reproduce. So we get to do what God does. But more than that, not only abundance and be fruitful and multiply, humans are told be fruitful and multiply and rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air and the earth, right? Steward, care for. We get abundance and we get authority. And so the word bless in scripture has this idea wrapped up in it from the very beginning. Even on day seven, God blesses the seventh day. 
and it becomes the basis for the human experience, like the, the, the place from which we live, Sabbath and rest, abundance, life, beauty, love. Right? This cathedral in time, it's called. So these are the verses that inform blessing. What about arar, to curse? You might imagine we find this in Genesis chapter 3, where the serpent, who plays the role in Adam and Eve in the conversation that happens there, the serpent is cursed to slither on the ground, and then the earth is cursed. So that which was abundant and life-giving and generative and part of the, the blessing of God for humans is cursed. And even the relationship between humans is cursed, right? That there will be enmity and strife and struggle. Maybe you could think of blessing and curse as an apple orchard. Um, when we came back to Minnesota uh, as a married couple, Laura and I, and we started our young family, my brothers and, uh, and all their kids and my mom would always go to Pine Tree Apple Orchard out on Highway 96. Doesn't have a petting zoo, and you can't pick your own apples. So there are better orchards out there, but it was just kind of tradition, okay? So we'd go to Pine Tree Apple Orchard. And when you get there, you know, you get all the kids out of the car, and you go, and then, like, what awaits you? Apples as far as the eye can see. And we did no work. We didn't plant those trees. We didn't cultivate them. We didn't prune them. We didn't trim them. We didn't clean them. We didn't do anything. They're just there. You can't pick them. Not a pine tree, but other ones. You can pick them. Blessing, right? Abundance for you. Whereas, if you can imagine, tilling the soil, planting the trees, pruning the trees as they grow, like sweat of your brow, and then in the fall, what shows up are like rotten apples that don't satisfy anybody. Curse, right? It's awful. It's terrible. Blessing and curse. So these are these two words and how they're informed or, or where they start in Scripture. It shows up again in Genesis chapter 8. Noah gets off the boat. What is he told? Be fruitful and multiply, right? Fill the earth. Through the one, blessing would come to creation. Genesis 12, the same thing. Abram. So that's blessing and curse. Everybody tracking so far? Now let's fast forward to Jacob and our story. In the beginning of Jacob's story, it's Genesis chapter 25. And this is like the third movement in Genesis, of which there are four. And Genesis 25 opens with, how did Jacob get here? What's the lineage? How did he get here? So Abram, Isaac, Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of our fathers. You've heard that prayer before. So Jacob is Abram's grandson. And it's important for us to hear what's said about Jacob before his life ever begins. Because we'll find, as we look at Jacob's life, just briefly, something was declared over him. And then he spends an entirety of his life trying to kind of undo it or find it in another way. Here's what's said about Jacob before he's ever born. This is Genesis 25. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife, Rebekah. She was barren, and the Lord granted his plea. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? And so she inquired of the Lord. And the Lord said to her this, About these boys, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Before Jacob is ever born, something is spoken over his life that God intends to give blessing, authority, rule. Now, if you know the story of the Bible, this prophecy is given, and then what happens next? These boys are born, Esau is born first, and then Jacob comes out, and what's he doing? He's grabbing, right? He comes out of the womb, he's grabbing the heel of his brother, almost as if, story-wise, 
he just doesn't trust what's just been spoken over him. And so he's already grasping for something that was intended to be given to him. The next story is the birthright story. If you remember this, uh, Esau, his brother, he's a hunter, he's a little bigger, he's out hunting in the field, he comes back, he's famished and hungry, and he says to his brother, Jacob, make me a meal, give me some red meat. So Jacob, the trickster, by the way, Jacob means heel or deceiver. So if there are any Jacobs in the room, I'm sorry. Uh, my brother's name is Jacob. And, you know, when you map it over, some things start to make sense, <laughs> right? Now, I don't mean to, you know, toot my own horn or anything, but Micah, it means he was like God. <laughs> so, there you go, okay? Jacob healed the deceiver, like, straight out of the gate, right? He's grabbing for his brother's heel, and then he tricks his brother. His brother's the firstborn. The birthright of the, would go to the firstborn, which is authority. The inheritance, which would, which would been, have been given to the firstborn by virtue of them being firstborn. And Jacob deceives his brother. He says, tell you what, you're so hungry, I'll trade you. Esau, in his stupor, decides to trade what's rightfully his. And Jacob tricks him, connives him, sneakily gets, acquires by his own means, authority. The birthright. God inten Remember, God intends to give this to Jacob. It's set over his life. It doesn't say in that prophecy like how it would happen or that it had to be done this way. It's just this is what God intended to give. But Jacob seeks it. He, he gets it his own way. Tricks his brother. And then we skip a chapter ahead and Jacob's next move of deceit, right? With his mother, Rebekah, uh, Isaac, his father, is told, heard saying to Esau, I want to bless you. Give him the, the blessing of the firstborn. So he sends him out to get him a meal. And Rebecca says, okay, Jacob, here's what we're going to do. The mother who heard the prophecy herself says, we're going to trick your dad. Dresses him up like his brother. Puts, uh, like, hairy things on him because Jacob's evidently fair-skinned. Esau is really hairy and large. So he goes in there and he tricks his dad, who's half-blind, pretends that he's Esau. And we read this blessing, which Jacob's father Isaac gives him instead of Esau. He says... Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth, plenty of grain and wine, abundance. Let people serve you. Nations bow down. Be master over your brethren. Let your mother's sons bow down. Cursed be everyone who curses you. Blessed be everyone who blesses you. What do we have? Abundance and authority. Right? Remember where we started. And now here it is in Jacob's life. And he's acquiring it in a way that's underhanded, right? He's, he's, and his brother wants to kill him, it says. So Jacob flees. He goes to his uncle Laban's house tw for 20 years. And even that period of time, it's all struggle and strife. He wants to marry Leah, but his uncle tricks him. And he accidentally sleeps with Rachel, which that's an odd one. Can we just say that out loud? I, like, I have a number of questions when I get on the other side. I'm like, how, how does that work, by the way? But so he gets four wives, he has 12 sons, the whole thing, it's a mess. Jacob's whole life is a bit of a train wreck. God intends to give him something, and he spends his whole life trying to not receive it. One Hebrew Bible professor says this, he says, The whole biblical story could be summed up as an irresistible force meeting an immovable object. 
irresistible force being the divine desire to bless humanity with abundance and authority. And the immovable object, human stupidity. Folly, autonomy, thinking we know what will bring us life. And this is Jacob's story. Have you ever met anybody like this who just would not receive something you wanted to give? Like, whether it would be time, or friendship, or an investment, mentoring. And they just, they like work their way to not give what you long to give. This is Jacob. I've never read it this way, but I find this fascinating to think about. So a couple of things I want to I move towards. Okay, what does this say about God? As we look at the story of Jacob, right? He meets Jacob, and he wrestles with this divine being, God or an angel. A lot of debate. What do we see about God in this? If Jacob has spent his whole life outrunning the divine desire to bless, what do we find is true about the divine being, about God? The first thing I would say is the creativity of God's loving pursuit. Jacob has spent his whole life outrunning, outwitting, conniving, and seeking this blessing in abundance, this authority in abundance, on his own terms. And so God, in God's creativity, comes to Jacob in his sleep. So he's like, all right, I can't, I can't outrun this cat. He comes to him in his sleep. I, I've shared a little bit of this story with you all, but uh, my relationship with my dad, who has since passed, was not the greatest. And that's a very long story, which I won't give you all the details of, but I'll sum it up and say that by the time I was a young man and newly married, like fresh in ministry, it, it, it had become really clear to me in my, like the deepest parts of my soul that I longed for something that I didn't have. And that I didn't get. Which was a father who saw me and who, you know, like nurtured me as a son and told me that he was proud of me. Um, and that grew in me. And, I, and it grew to bitterness and anger. And for the longest time, as that grew, people would say, I, I grew up in Christianity, I grew up in evangelicalism, and of course, God isn't our mother, God's only our father, which is not true. Um, but so God as Father was everywhere, right? And so many people would say, Micah, did you ever consider that maybe God wants to father you? And I'm just like, stop saying that to me, please. This is so annoying, right? It's so easy for you to say, for anybody to say, oh, God wants to father you. I'm looking for somebody with skin on, you know what I'm saying? Somebody who can actually hug me, who I can smell. And I didn't, I didn't get that for so many different ways and so many different reasons. And so I just got really angry about it. And I would... In my spirit, I opposed this idea of God wanting to father me to the point that I, I got so frustrated the last time somebody said, do you think God would want to be a father to you? I told them to go themselves, okay? I was so mad sitting on the Sea of Galilee in a lawn chair. <laughs> and like, do you ever think God wants to father you? I'm like, you know what? <sighs> yeah, I thought about that. Of course I have. And that night, I remember writing in my journal, and there was like a crack in my soul. And into that crack came like the creative spirit of the divine, which finally figured out a way to get in. 
And in that crack grew a seed. A seed of openness. And I remember shoving in a wall in Israel, in the, the, the southern wall of the Temple Mount, my prayer, which was that for the first time, I was ready, open to receive what God longed to give me all along. That I had just continued to outrun and outwit the divine. Have you ever found yourself there? I think it's important to remember like the creative pursuit of God through a, a wacko, a, a crazy, goofy rabbi named Alan Ullman and a friendship which I no longer have. I met Alan and this whole story grew. And I have a picture of, the, of this moment in my office upstairs. Like who would have seen that one coming? And yet here we have the creative pursuit of God, which is followed by the relentless pursuit of God. Jacob spent his whole life outrunning and outwitting and conniving, trying to seek this thing which God wants to give on his own means, and God is relentless and creative. Uh, we see that, like, the, the, the steadfast chesed is this word, steadfast grace and love of God in the story of Jacob. Uh, Laura and I have three children, and I won't name um, one for the sake of their anonymity, but have you ever read that book, Raising the Spirited Child? Well, let's say one of ours fit that, fit that bill. Uh, Raising the Spirited Child, and we would say, this kid is relentless, like just would not stop, would not give in. Debate and challenge, you're like, you got to know what you're going to say before you talk to that seven-year-old, because they will take you down. And we had these rules about the TV in our house. And it was like, you know, you only can watch TV for so long because, you know, screens destroy brains. Kids, listening. <laughs> so we set these rules and, you know, okay, here's what's going to happen. TV can only be on this time, that time. And our TV was downstairs in the basement. And first time, I go downstairs, and lo and behold, spirited child was down there and had found a way to turn the TV back on. I'm like, we're going to, this is the line and we're going to, we're drawing it, and we're standing it. We're going to keep, you know, keep the rules here. Because if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. and your life. <laughs> so I hid the remote. I'm like, buried it, you know. Can't find it. Come downstairs a couple days later. Spirited child sitting there with the remote in their hand watching TV. And I'm like, impressive. I'm really angry, but really impressed. <laughs> you know, like, well done. So I'm like, all right, let's take this up a notch. So I go, I take the HDMI cable, and it's in the TV, and I pull it out just a little bit. You know, like, they'll never figure this one out. After they're done watching TV. A couple days later, I come down, spirited child with the remote, figured it out. Like, put the HDMI cable back in the TV. I'm like, this is insanity. Relentless pursuit of this thing. So I'm like, I will win this. I will win. GFCI outlets, you know what those are? This is our basement. So on the back side of the, the, the TV wall is the, the washroom, which had a GFCI outlet because it's in the water room, which then fed all the other outlets. So if you push that one, none of the other power worked in the basement. I'm like, they will never get this. So I go back there. I press the GFCI outlet breaker. No, no power in the basement. I swear on my life, they figured it out. They went back there and pressed the button. I don't know how to this day. I mean, I could not believe it. I tell you that story because that's a seven-year-old. Relentless pursuit of whatever they wanted. 
if that's what a seven-year-old is like, can you imagine what God is like? If God is relentlessly pursuing you and I, if God's love is as it says in Scripture, and God is what Jesus reveals to us, then is it, what if that's what God is like? That in their pursuit of you, they will stop at nothing. GFCI outlets don't stand a chance. I don't know how long you've spent running or if you've spent any time running trying to outwit and outlast. But this book tells a story that you don't stand a chance because God's love is irresistible and relentless. And I want to close with, with this, this part in this passage which is a bit troubling, I find, because if, in fact, this angel or God that... Jacob wrestles with is God, if it's a divine figure, then they injure Jacob, which, I mean, I don't know about you, but that's problematic for me at, 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 on one level that God would do that. You know, it says that it dislocated his hip. It, like, the Hebrew there is like he punched him in the groin. <laughs> God punched, what? God picks a fight with Jacob and punches him in the groin, like the place closest to his capacity to reproduce, right? Which is back to blessing. And Jacob says, bless me. And it's as if the, the divine is saying, help me help you, man. Only when we give God no other choice do we find God's pursuit and relentless nature to like this level of engagement. Like, okay, I'm not, a, I'm not a Calvinist, which is like, I don't believe God causes physical harm in people so that God can be glorified for lots of reasons. There's other sermons I've preached on that. But from like a literary perspective, like, think about this. There's a song written by a friend of mine named Kate Smith, and the title of it is Crushed and Created. In the very same moment, we're broken down and built back up, put back together. It's as if God says to Jacob, I have longed to give you your whole life, what you're asking for on your own terms, and it's not working out for you. Let me help you. Let me bless you. And so Jacob encounters the relentless, faithful, steadfast love and pursuit of God, and he's marked forever because of it. As Awaken, as we close this morning, I'd invite you to consider what in this story is for us in this moment of our iteration as we think about our uncertainty going forward. Is there anything from here, any wisdom, any nugget that the, the Spirit may want to give to us this morning? I've highlighted a few, thinking that maybe they might be helpful, but there's certainly more. Uh, I'd like to invite you to a time of prayer and give you some space to think about that. So pray with me if you would. God, as we gather this morning and we think about this story and the arc of it and the way in which you are woven in it and through it and are found in the midst of it relentlessly and faithfully, you, you spoke a word over Jacob that blessing would come through his family. And you were faithful to it. 
So whatever uncertainty we find ourselves in the midst of, in this iteration of being your people, remind us of who you are. Holy Spirit, speak and do your work in us, I pray. As we close our time together, we want to offer you the opportunity to respond. Um, If you didn't know, by the way, there's a prayer room right over here on my right and your left. For like eight years, people have been writing their prayers on those walls, which is a fun exercise just to go in and read them, the prayers of the people, so to speak. But you're welcome to use that. Um, Michelle's going to lead us in song, and we'll make our way to this table, if you'd like, uh, the table of Eucharist. So um, just a moment, we'll invite you to make your way down the side aisles. Um, There's red wine and there's white grape juice. We invite you to take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup. And as you do, know that the body of Christ has been broken for you, the blood of Christ has been shed for you, um, and that it's yours. So come. A reminder, Paul, the apostle, in writing to a little church in the city of Corinth, says you can have all the gifts available strength to move mountains gift of prophecy gift of healing any number of things but if you don't have love that's not what motivates you all these things are a clanging symbol it's noise and so may it be true of you that your life your action your work in the world would be rooted in motivated by love And that we would find that that, in fact, would never fail. That it doesn't fail. Amen? So go with this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church said together, amen. Amen. Grace and peace, friends. Find us online at www at awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakencommunity or on Twitter at awakencommunity. See you next time.